Good morning, Parkway Church. How y'all doing? Y'all doing good today? Good. So glad you've joined us, whether you're at Parkway Port Lavaca, Parkway Lone Tree, Parkway Victoria, or at Parkway Online. Welcome, welcome, welcome. In fact, I think right now we could say we've got so many people at the Frio River that we could have Parkway Frio today. So we're glad you've joined us at Parkway Online. Welcome, everybody. So glad you're with us. My name is Mike. I'm the senior pastor here. And it's my privilege each and every week to open the Bible with you and to learn, to discover, and to grow together. And this year, as you know, we're walking through the Bible together, chapter by chapter, chunk by chunk, getting to know the major players and the theological threads that run throughout Scripture. And I'm so glad you're here as we continue our series, Kings and Kingdoms. In this series, we're looking at what you and I can do as believers in Jesus Christ to follow God as the king of our life and to live according to his will and live according to his word. And you and I are going to be challenged today personally by the story of two kings of Israel. Before we jump into that message, though, I want to give you a quick update on where we are in Parkway, Port Lavaca. You know that since the storm, we haven't been meeting at the Bauer Community Center, but we've been sharing space or using space at the Safety Council of the Texas Midcoast. And they've been great partners and will continue to be great partners. Joni and her team are amazing. But we're going to be making a move in the next few weeks to the Grace Chapel in Port Lavaca so that we can go back to one service, so that we can have a place that's great for our students and great for our children and great for our adults. And we had an excellent week of work at the Grace Chapel this week, preparing the rooms for our kids and students. So thank you to those teams who gave their Saturday to go and serve. And we look forward to finishing up the space and crossing the final hurdles with the city so that we've got occupancy there here in the next few weeks. So church family, in Port Lavaca, I hope to hear you clapping and cheering this because this is a big deal. This is going to position us to reach our community and to make a difference in Port Lavaca as we're back in the city limits and we've got a great place to worship. So church family, would you commit to pray for the next few weeks that we're able to enter? Wow, we've got a highly committed church family today. You can go ahead and interrupt me with your clapping. It's absolutely fine. Would y'all commit to praying? Thank you. One of the things that I've learned over the last 20 years of pastoring and the last years, decades of following Jesus personally, is that we trust the Lord's timing and we walk in his timing and we look for his timing. And so in Port Lavaca, our big goal and our big dream is that we'll have a building on the corner of 87 and 35 right across the street from Bucky's. But we're walking in God's timing and trusting his provision in that. And our next step is to go to the Grace Chapel. And so I'm very excited about that and look forward to the Lord working through us and using us there. And if you want to be a part of the teams that serve at the Grace Chapel, email sam at parkwaychurch.tv and he will get you uh, all the information you need to put a paint roller in your hand and to get you in a place where you can like create a place where kids are going to come to know Christ and where students are going to take their next step of discipleship. So we look forward to the next few weeks and what unfolds in Port Lavaca. But today, I look forward to jumping into the book of 1 Samuel again with you. So if you brought your Bible, open up to the book of 1 Samuel. We're going to walk through and hear the story of Israel's first two kings today. Let me catch you up on where we were last week as we kicked off the series Kings and Kingdoms. In our study through Scripture, we're moving away from the period of judges, you know, like Samson and, and Ruth. We're judging through, we're, or, pardon me, Deborah. We're, we're moving through the period of, of judges, and now we're entering into the period of kings. 
And we saw last week that God's people, when they felt pressured by their enemies and when they felt like they were about to lose in the war, they looked at the other countries and said, they have a king and they're winning. We want a king like they have. And so God reluctantly gave them a king. Samuel was their judge, their prophet, God's man, God's communicator for them. And Samuel was heartbroken and offended that they would choose a king instead of God. And God made it really clear to Samuel, they haven't rejected you as their leader. They've rejected me as their leader. And that's a very personal decision when it comes to who are we following with our lives. And the big push, the big takeaway from last week was, why would you settle for a no good, useless replacement of God when you can follow God himself? Don't settle for a substitute, but instead follow God as the king of your life. One of the warnings that Samuel gave the people of God was that if they gave themselves over to a king, that they would, like, they would be subject to the king and that the king wouldn't see them as his people, but the king would see them as his possessions. They would now be his. And so if they had a good king, they'd have a good life. If they had a bad king, they had a bad life. If they were able to follow God and the king was able to follow God and everybody obeyed, no problems. But if at any point something went south with the king or with the people, there is going to be a problem. And we see that as we look at the first two kings of Israel. So today we're going to get to know two major players in Scripture. The first one is King Saul. And as we hear his story, we're going to see how God chooses kings for Israel. We're going to see how God calls and anoints and empowers people to lead. And then we're going to get to know King David. And we're going to see King David, a man that we can really relate to, a man that we can aspire to be like in the good ways of his life. So let's jump in together. If you brought your Bible, we're going to start in 1 Samuel chapter 9, verse 2. Now remember, the people of God have requested a king, and now God is going to give them a king. And so the story picks up there. And so here it is, 1 Samuel 9, verse 2. Kish had a son named Saul. As handsome a young man as could be found anywhere in Israel. And he was, he was a head taller than anyone else. So Samuel, and what did Samuel's name mean? Samuel's name means heard from God. So Samuel, the one who's heard from God, went out looking for the first king of Israel. And he shows up at Kish's place. And there's this really tall, good-looking guy named Saul. And you know that expression, head and shoulders above the rest? It likely came from from a guy like Saul, right? Saul was, I mean, he stood out from the crowd. And Samuel looked at him and said, 1 Samuel 10, 1. Then Samuel took a flask of olive oil and poured it on Saul's head and kissed him, saying, has not the Lord anointed you ruler over his inheritance? Now that's kind of a creepy greeting if a guy in his early 60s shows up to you, pours oil on your face and kisses you, right? This wasn't a creepy greeting, though. This was a very personal greeting. This was an anointing. When he poured the olive oil over his head, what Samuel did for Saul was reminded him of God's presence in his life and God's blessing on his life. Now, Samuel didn't carry the olive oil around for like cooking purposes. He carried it around for his grooming purposes and also because he knew he would bless the future king of Israel. But as that oil dripped down off his head and off his beard and onto his chest, is a reminder of God's presence in his life. And then Samuel leaned in and kissed him, and that's a reminder of God's blessing in his life. And then just so that he wouldn't miss it, Samuel said to Saul, how great is it that you are gonna get to 
receive God's inheritance. You'll be ruler over his inheritance. So in this moment, a new king was given to God's people. Listen to how 1 Samuel 13 describes Saul's leadership. Saul was 30 years old when he became king, and he reigned over Israel 42 years. So as we look at Saul's life, we're going to see some things that he really messed up on. And we're going to see some things that, that definitely could have been improved upon. And I want you to think personally about your life before we get too quick to judge Saul. Those of you that are 72, Saul led from the time that he was 30 to the time he was 72. Those 72-year-olds out there, how much did you learn since the time you were 30? How many redos would you like since you were 30? Anybody in the 70s still remember their 30s? But we look back and we say, Saul led for 42 years, from the age of 30 to the age of 72. The meat of his life, the, the point in his life when he would build his legacy and discover who he was in, 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 in all of that, just like your life and mine, he was king. And his life was recorded, so we're going to see that he blew it a couple times, <laughs> more than a couple times. But as we look at his life, let's never forget that God had chosen him to be the first king of Israel. But God's choice of Saul wouldn't last for long. As Saul was leading his men into battle, Samuel told him, I'll see you in a week. I'll see you in seven days. The custom of the day and the expectation of the day was that they would offer sacrifices to God before they went into war. Because though they had a king that was a man, God wanted all the people to know that the victory was still his. And so they were going to offer a sacrifice before they went into war. And so Samuel's not there on day one because he didn't say he'd be there on day one. He's not there on day two, day three, day four, day five, day six, day break at day seven. He's not there. And Saul begins to get antsy because the men are getting anxious and beginning to disperse. So instead of waiting for Samuel to show up, Saul took it into his own hands and he made an offering to the Lord, two offerings to be exact. And as soon as the final offering was made to God, you know who walked up? Samuel. He said, why didn't you wait on me? I told you I was coming. And all the excuses flew, but there were no excuses that would pass muster. And so look at what happened next. 1 Samuel 13, 13 through 14. You have done a foolish thing, Samuel said. You have not kept the command the Lord your God gave to you. If you had, he would have established your kingdom over Israel for all time. But now your kingdom will not endure. For the Lord has sought out a man after his own heart and appointed him ruler over his people because you have not kept the Lord's command. This wouldn't be the only time that Saul was rejected as king. There's another time when God sent them into battle and said, wipe everything out. Take nothing. Take no plunder. And yet the people of God did. And Samuel had to call Saul on it. And again, he was rejected as their king. Can you imagine what it was like for Saul? He remembers that moment that he was anointed. He remembers that moment that he was declared king and given the leadership over the inheritance of the people of God. And yet now he's been rejected not once but twice. And he's been told by Samuel, who's heard from God, that God is now seeking out a man after his own heart and appointed him ruler over the people. Like Saul is 
He's got no authority because God's not leading through him anymore. He doesn't, like he's still got the seat, but he knows he's going to lose it. This was a very distressing time for the people of God, including Samuel. Listen to this. 1 Samuel 15, 10 through 11. Then the word of the Lord came to Samuel. I regret that I made Saul king because he's turned away from me and has not carried out my instructions. Samuel was angry and he cried out to the Lord all night. And the Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul, since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with olive oil. Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I am sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. So Samuel's down in the dumps. God, why are you taking Saul? God, why do you regret? God, 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 God. Why, why, why? What, what, what comes next? And God says, how long are you going to mourn for him? I've already rejected him. Get up, fill your horn with oil, and go to Jesse's house. For I have chosen a king. We pause right there and just remember that even when things seem like they're out of control and God's not in charge, God is still in control. He's the sovereign. He's the one who has chosen. He's the one who has a plan. And God's plan will not be thwarted by the sin or the failure of a man, even a king. God's plan will not be be derailed because you and I mess up. God says, Samuel, get up. I've given you a king to go find. He's at Jesse's house. And Samuel gets really practical here with his next question to the Lord. 1 Samuel 16, 2 through 4. But Samuel said, how can I go? If Saul hears about it, he will kill me. If Saul hears that I'm going to anoint the next king of Israel, he will kill me so that I can't go anoint the next king. So the Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I'll show you what to do. You are are to anoint for me the one I indicate. So Samuel did what the Lord said. When he arrived at Bethlehem, the elders of the town trembled when they met him. And they asked, Did you co- do you come in peace? He says, sure, I come in peace. Keep reading, 1 Samuel 16, 5 through 6. Samuel replied, yes, in peace I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come to the sacrifice with me. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed stands before the Lord. Let's pause right there. What we're about to see is Jesse's sons all come in front of Samuel to see which one of his kids would be the future king. We know that Saul's days are numbered and we know that one of Jesse's kids is going to be the future king. There's going to come one kid that walks in front and Samuel's going to see him and he's going to say, that's God's kid. How many, that's God's choice for king. How many of y'all have ever seen the show The Bachelor or The Bachelorette? Look at all those guys raising their hands. It's just amazing. You know, the premise of the show is you've got one bachelor or one bachelorette and you've got dozens of suitors, right? And they have interviews and they have dates and they do all sorts of crazy stuff. And the, the suitor will give a rose to the bachelor or to the bachelorette that they want to continue on in the show. And so as we look at what God is going to do to choose his next king, it's not a rose that would be distributed. 
but it is going to be the blessing of God, the anointing of God that would be given. And so Samuel rolls in, and the first person he sees is, is Jesse's son, Eliab. And he, he looked, and he said, surely this is God's choice to be king. This kid must have been tall, dark, and handsome. This kid must have been one that stood out from the crowd that had the look of a leader. He must have. Just like Saul was head and shoulders above the rest, my guess is that Eliab was the same. Because listen to how God corrected Samuel's thinking. 1 Samuel 16, verse 7. But the Lord said, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And so God says to Samuel, hey, when we choose this time, it's not going to be about the height and the looks. Consider not his appearance or his height, but look instead at his character. I'm guessing that 10 years ago when the church looked at me as senior pastor, they said, consider not his height nor his appearance, but look at his heart. And there's a lesson learned there. If you're in the dating world still, you got to know this. Chemistry will only take you so far, but character is what matters most. That chemistry that you feel based on height and looks, that will only take you so far, but it's the character that matters most. Don't look just at the outward appearance, but instead look at the heart of the person. And so that's what Samuel would do. So the procession would continue. 1 Samuel 16, 8 through 11. Then Jesse called Anadab and had him pass in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, the Lord has not chosen this one either. Jesse had Shammah pass, but Samuel said, nor has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse had seven sons. And he had seven of his sons passed before Samuel, but Samuel said to him, the Lord has not chosen these. So he asked Jesse, are these all of your sons? There is still the youngest, Jesse answered. He is tending the sheep. Samuel said, send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. So Samuel's orders from God were clear. Go to Jesse's house with a horn full of oil because you're going to get to see the king. And we're not going to look at the outside appearance alone. We're going to look at the heart because character matters. And then these six kids pass in front of him. And none of them are God's choice. So he asked the question, do you have any more kids? And apparently Jesse had ruled one out from being potential king because the baby was still out in the field as a shepherd. And so Samuel says, bring him because he knows who God's choice is at this point. If he's got six kids and one's missing, the one that's missing is God's choice. So we're not going to sit down until he shows up. Keep reading. 1 Samuel 16, 12 and 13. So he sent for him and had him brought in. He was glowing with health and had a fine appearance and handsome features. I think that's funny that Samuel recorded that because just a few verses ago, he said, don't look at the outward appearance. And then now we say he's glowing and he's got a fine appearance and handsome features. So he's tan. He's got great cheekbones, right? But don't consider that. So David must have had more than just rugged good looks. He must have had a heart that God could see, could be used by him and molded by him. He had handsome features, and then the Lord said, rise and anoint him. This is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil 
and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. And then Samuel went to Ramah. Samuel went home. Now, how crazy is this scene? You've got six big brothers and the baby brother comes from the field and he's God's choice. How many of you guys are babies in the family? Oh, yeah. How would your older siblings respond if they are gathered at a family barbecue and all of a sudden you're chosen to be the next leader, not just of the family, but of the whole nation? I don't think they'd receive that very well. In fact, how many of y'all are older siblings and you say your baby brother or sister already lives that life, right? (laughs) They aren't anointed that way, but they are annoying that way. But that's the scene. David was chosen to be the king. Now, Saul would serve for how many years? 42 years. So there would be a season where David would be developed to be king. There'd be a season where David would wait to take his throne. And in this season, you might know that David killed Goliath with faith and one stone. You might know that David was a warrior. You might know that David had a close friendship with Saul's son, Jonathan. You might also know that David was a man that struggled with sin, pride and ego and lust. He looked down one summer night and saw Bathsheba bathing. And instead of turning away, he took her as his and eventually killed her husband to cover up his sin, to cover up the adultery. We know that David is also a man that returned to God. If you read Psalm 51, you see the broken heart of a man who sinned. We see that David was pursued by Saul before he was king. He cried out to God writing psalms. Many of the psalms in our Bible are written by David. And when you know the context of this story, he's being pursued by Saul and you read him crying out to God for freedom from his oppressors. You go, oh, this guy needed God's help. And this guy was like God was committed to him. You you begin to see the psalms differently because we like David are have God's commitment to us, and we, like David, need God's help. So David was a warrior. David was a musician. David was a poet. David was a king, a leader, a sinner. And God chose him. And remember what God said about him? That he would be a man after his own heart. That idea was carried through into the New Testament. Listen to this, Acts 13, 22. After removing Saul... He made David their king. God testified concerning him. I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. See, Mike, how could David have done everything that God wanted to do when he was still a sinner who was messed up and messed up with his life? Well, keep reading. Now, Acts 13, 36. Now, when David had served God's purpose in his own generation... He fell asleep. He was buried with his ancestors and his body decayed. What was David's secret? He served God with a purpose in his generation. He looked to do what God had asked him to do. It was just that simple. In every age and every life stage gathered here at each of our campuses, may that be our goal. That our goal is just to live for God according to his purpose for us and our generation. He determines our days. He's numbered them before they were one. He determines what we do and how we serve him because he's gifted us and empowered us. He's in charge. Our goal was simply, 
God, we're going to serve you with a purpose in our generation. We're going to do what you tell us to do. In the end, we're going to be laid in the grave, but not just in the grave. We're going to be laid in your hands, Lord, because we are trusting you and because we've believed in your son, Jesus, who's given us life. So I got three takeaways for you today as we look at applying this message of King Saul and King David to our life. First one is this, and you can fill in the blank. God has a plan for his people. Saul sinned, God chose. David sinned, God redeemed and forgave. God has a plan for his people. And as you gather together, it's your location today, as you gather together in worship, may you be reminded that God is still in control of you. And that he is still working and still guiding. Will you remember that everything works together for the good, for those who love God and are called according to his purpose? Will you remember that God's plan is perfect for you? And though you sin and though you struggle and though, like me, you doubt at times, you cannot and will not derail God's good, perfect, and pleasing plan. He invites you to be a part of it. The second thing we learn is that God uses imperfect people to accomplish his perfect plan. Say David was a man after God's own heart. He would do everything that God told him to do, and yet he wasn't perfect. That's why God uses imperfect people to accomplish his perfect plan. You know today why God uses imperfect people to accomplish his perfect plan? Because imperfect people is all he's got. If, if God had to walk around our church or our communities and say, I'm going to find the perfect person to lead for me, he would still be looking. I'm going to find the perfect person to serve others and to share my story. He'd still be looking. See, the issue isn't, can God use me and my imperfections? The issue is, will I allow God to use me despite my imperfections? In Christ, everything has changed in your life. You have been forgiven. You've been set free. In Christ, everything has changed in your life. You're a son or a daughter of the Most High. In Christ, everything has changed. So the issue isn't, will God use me? Can God use me? The issue is, what will I let God do with me? That's the issue. Because God uses imperfect people to accomplish his perfect plan. Before I move on to the last takeaway of the day, I want to do a little correcting of some thought that's out there in the Christian world when it comes to imperfect people. See, there's this line that Christians use, and it sounds humble and it sounds right, but in my opinion, there are times when it's a cop-out. There are times when it's an excuse for sin and for struggle that doesn't have to remain. And here's the statement. I'm just a sinner saved by grace. Now, let me tell you, in that moment when you believed in Jesus and found life, in that moment when you were justified by faith through grace alone, you were a sinner saved by grace. But that's not who you are now. You are now a victor in Jesus Christ. You are now a son or a daughter. You are the residence of the Holy Spirit. You are one who's got a promised kingdom that's coming and a Lord that's returning. You aren't just a sinner saved by grace. You are a victor empowered by God to live a changed life. Don't settle for the cop out. When you can live in victory, 
Don't settle for the I'm a sinner saved by grace. Oh, here it is. Because I'm a sinner saved by grace, I have victory over sin. Because I'm a sinner saved by grace, I can serve God despite my imperfections. Because I'm a sinner saved by grace, God can and will and wants to use me. Because I'm a sinner saved by grace, things are changing. Because I'm a sinner saved by grace, everything's different. Friends, make sure you finish the sentence. I'm a sinner saved by grace that God is changing. I'm a sinner that's saved by grace It's not gonna use his grace and my failure as an excuse to continue to sin. I am a victor in Jesus Christ. Third thing we take away. God wants you and me to be after his heart. What made David special? He was chasing after God. When he was depressed, in the, the caves and Saul was pursuing him, he cried out to God. What made him special when the giant was standing before him, David stood by faith. What made him special when he blew it with Bathsheba, he confessed it before God. He was a man after God's own heart. And because you are who you are in Jesus Christ, you can be after God's heart too. And what does that mean in our real life? It means that we strive like David, like what God saw in the heart of David. We strive to do everything he's commanded us to do. What does God want most from your life? For Samuel 15, 22. But Samuel replied, does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice. And a heed is better than the fat of rams. What God wants most from you and from me to show that he is the king of our lives is to obey. It's not just a simple statement or an act of worship. It is a sacrifice of obedience. He wants us to heed his will and his word, which means submit or yield our lives to it. Friends, each one of us can be after God's heart in one simple way. I'm gonna do what he's called me to do right now. Moment by moment, day by day, week by week, month by month, I'm gonna do everything he's told me to do. Nothing more and nothing less because he is the king and I trust him. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the chance to open your word. And Lord, I help, Lord, I just pray you help us to be people that, truly will submit and surrender to you as king. God, help us not be like Saul, who sinned by not waiting for you and who sinned by not obeying you. But help us to be like David, a man who was used by you despite his imperfections because he returned to you and because you chose him. God, as you've chosen us and as you've given us your Holy Spirit, we just pray that we would be like David, men and women after your heart who do what you ask us to do. As we continue to pray, if you've never believed in Jesus for life, the Bible says that you're a sinner who needs a Savior, and Jesus is the Savior and the Lord of all. And he invites you today to believe and to find life in him and him alone. If today's your day, you can mark it with a prayer. 
Jesus, I believe. I believe that I'm a sinner who needs a savior and you are the savior of the world. Thank you for coming for me, for dying in my place and being raised again from the dead. Today, I believe. Thank you for giving me life.